So I want you to take a moment and imagine the most annoying sound or voice that you've ever heard. And take that same voice and think about what it would be like if each time that you wake up in the morning to the time that you go to sleep, that this voice has constant criticism. It points out all your flaws. It points out all the perceived failures. It reinforces any criticism that you've ever received in life on a constant loop from the time that you open your eyes to the time that you finally allow yourself to fall asleep. Voices fight to keep you awake. And I would imagine that after about a day or two or a week that you would be pretty tired of that voice and you do whatever it takes to get rid of it, whether it's fight it, scream back at it, tell it to shut up. But at the end of each day, the voice leaves you so depleted mentally, emotionally, and physically, it's almost as though you've been into a physical fight with somebody like Mike Tyson who would leave you feeling depleted and unable to fight back. So take that same feeling and multiply it by a year. You'd be pretty exhausted if you did it two years. But imagine 10 years. And so for me, that was my experience with depression. And so in today's episode on Unique Conversations with Chris, with me, your host, Chris, I'm going to take you on the journey of how I went from that state of being in that deep pit of depression to where I am now, where I am in a healthier place as far as my self-esteem, my self-value, as well as managing my depression and all my other mental health diagnoses. So like I mentioned early in this this episode, the feelings, the voice, the exhaustion were how I experienced depression. I want to give a couple of disclaimers. First and foremost, although I do talk at length about mental health and what it looks like from my perspective as a patient and as a person who has their own personal journey with it, I am in no shape, form, or fashion a mental health expert. In fact, I'm just an advocate And although I'm happy to share my story and share my experiences, I would caution those that find things that resonate with them or live true for them to take my story and encourage you to go seek help for your mental health. And although I'm happy to share my experience and answer questions about my stories, I don't want to be put in a position to where I'm asked for advice or anything of that nature outside or I don't want to be put in a position to where you're using my story as a baseline of what's healthy what's not I would encourage you especially if you find if you resonate with a lot of things that I say to go seek the help of a professional because my story is just unique to my me and my journey and so things could certainly look different for you I also would like to just acknowledge that there are topics in this episode that for some maybe nature. So I want to caution those 
to be mine, my story of my mental health journey. So if I think back, based on what I know now about what mental health looks like and what are some potential indicators that there may be some needs that maybe need to be addressed, I can look back over my life and see that probably likely to due to the things that I experienced that I talk about in my first two episodes, along with some things that are genetic, along with some of the other things that I've discovered about myself, that it's likely that I have always had anxiety because I remember as a kid, I worried a lot, but also too, that there were indicators that likely pointed to that I could be experiencing mild depression. So I don't per se have a exact trigger that led me to start to feel depressed. I can just use the baseline of when I noticed that the norm that I thought was normal became too abnormal for me to, to not notice. I just know that I could tell when it went from my norm to something that it caused my mental health to, or my mood, mental health to, to suffer more. So as I mentioned, and if you're familiar with my other two episodes, there were things that happened in my life that would be considered traumatic. And so as a result of that, I'm part of my experience with mental health is a result of that. I also recognize that some of the ways that I define my self-worth and self-value were not the healthiest. I did not have a health of self-esteem. And so I believe that also created a dynamic in which my mental health suffered. Growing up, I was one of the quiet kids. The only way that I really felt good about myself is if I was being recognized for something that I did well. So if I was being recognized for my grades or my ability to do things that were athletic or being a nice kid or a nice person. And so when I got older, I recognized that my esteem wasn't the healthiest because I did not view myself as someone that was attractive or worth anything beyond the things that I was recognized for. And that right there did not create a environment into which my mental health had fertile ground to, to build and grow on. So I was able to keep my mental health in a consistent manageable place for a majority of my life. It wasn't until my mid twenties to where I had an experience and instances in which I felt like I needed to seek the help of a mental health professional. I feel like I was able to maintain my mental health by first and foremost, to be honest, keeping myself busy. I worked, I did school, I was constantly busy. I didn't allow myself to have a lot of downtime. And then also my lifestyle at the time, I was very active and I worked out, I ate a pretty balanced diet. I was social, involved, I had friends. It kept me active. And so for me, depression was managed with my lifestyle back then. 
I do recognize that there were times where I noticed that my mood would drop, but I was able to manage him with my lifestyle or just altering a few things in my, adjusting things in my life at that time. And so I, in about my mid twenties, I was living in California. I had recently moved there about a year and a half prior to that point. I'm originally from Texas. And so I spent my whole life being here in Texas. And so in my mid twenties, I got the idea that I wanted to go and move and experience another place and learn different things and reinvent myself. And I was able to do that. I had recently gotten my grounding, had started making a group of friends, had kind of gotten into the rhythm of living in California. And so because of that, I was out and dating and being the typical 20 something year old female. I had met this particular guy and we had built a rapport and we started to talk and I felt comfortable enough to go and hang out with him and watch movies. And so during that time, he started to initiate things that I was not open to. And I remember specifically saying, no, I used my verbal and nonverbal and it got to the point, like as the night progressed, I never felt threatened because I had a rapport with this person. And so I was under the idea and principle that just like I respect this person, he respected me. Unfortunately, that was not the case. And so eventually my no was not enough and things went beyond the point that I wanted them to, wanted them to that night. I remember going home and feeling very guilty I felt like I was at fault. I started to imagine the things that people would say if I were to speak up, like, oh, you know better than being at so-and-so, being here at this time, or you know better than this or that, or you should have done this differently. Because I had all those things in the back of my mind, I just stuffed it. And the next day when this person reached out to me to check in to make sure I was okay, I did not bring it up and I didn't pursue things any further than that other than me making the decision to no speak to that person, other than to no longer speak to that person. And so if I think back and as I'm, as I was preparing for this to tell this story, because once again, some of these stories and some of the some of my story I have not shared with a lot of people but as I was thinking back and looking at the behaviors I think subconsciously I started to sabotage and rebel against myself due to what happened that night and I'll be specific so like I mentioned before prior to I was very much active. I took pride into how I took care of my body. As a result of that, I did receive a fair amount of attention from males because of how I maintain my body. And because growing up, I did not have a healthy esteem and I never felt attractive. So when I started to receive that attention, that kind of fed my internal lack of self-esteem 
because it was that external validation. But looking back now, I realize that's not the healthiest approach. But back then, that's kind of how I formed that confidence and esteem is based on what I, the attention that I received at that time. And so after that incident, I blamed myself. And then I started to look into, and maybe subconsciously I looked into, okay, well, my outward appearance is what's drawing this people drawing this person. So maybe I should not pay attention to that anymore. I don't know. But I just know that in my state of depression, I stopped working out. I stopped eating mindfully. I would say my diet became majority of fast food and unhealthy stuff. I became sedentary. I got to the point to where all I wanted to do was sleep. I got out of my routine of going to the gym after work and then eating a relatively healthy meal to getting off of work, grabbing fast food, not going to the gym and sleeping until the next morning and then waking and feeling so exhausted and so depleted that I barely had enough energy to make it through my day of work. And so that continued for a little bit of time. Then I started to really feel like something was wrong. And so that's what, I guess, sparked the idea for me to go see a mental health professional. When I went to go see her, she listened to my symptoms. I told her about the things that I was feeling. And she had a few suggestions at the end of the session. One being that I go get a workbook that would help me work through my anxiety and depression. Another thing would be that she diagnosed me with having depression. The third thing was she suggested that I go seek therapy. And then finally, she suggested that perhaps I should consider taking medication as a to help me with my feelings of depression. I was open to the workbook in which I got. I did eventually seek therapy once I moved back to Texas. And then the other two things with the depression diagnosis and getting the medication, I didn't quite accept it. I was willing to accept that I was anxious because I remember being a very anxious child who worried a lot. So that wasn't new for me to accept. But depression, because of what it looks like in sitcoms and movies and and what we the images that we saw back then, I did not have the criteria for that. I was not laying on the couch. Well, I mean, I guess technically I was laying on the couch sleeping, but I just didn't feel like I was sad. I just felt exhausted, depleted, and very unmotivated. And then just the whole idea of medication, because there's so much stigma tied to medication. First of all, I didn't like the idea that I would be on a substance that would alter my brain chemistry. I didn't like the idea of having the side effects, potential side effects or withdrawals. I just didn't like the idea of medication. And and plus, I didn't really fully embrace the diagnosis of depression because I didn't feel like it's the what I thought it looked like and what I felt were the same. And so I walked away with the workbook and the knowledge working on my anxiety. And then I ended up eventually moving back to Texas, I think within the next six months. And when I got back to Texas, it kind of became one of those things where it was acknowledged that I'd gained a pretty good amount of weight from the last time that my friends and family had seen me. But it wasn't significant enough to warrant concern from them. 
And for me, it was just one of those things where it was just kind of like, well, of course, I'm not working out. I'm not eating healthy. But when I got back home and I was around friends and family, I started to incorporate some of the same things that I were typically I would typically do. I started to work out more frequently, but I still hadn't changed the diet. I hung out with my friends, but I just didn't feel like me. But at the same time, I didn't slow down enough to really address why I didn't feel like me. And so I just continued the next 10 plus years in the state of feeling here, but disconnected, not necessarily addressing the behaviors and ideas as to why I drastically changed the, you know, my habits and behaviors. And I just continued to exist. I will say that about a year after I moved back, I did find myself in a very similar situation that I did in California. But this time I was out at an event and I met this guy and we were talking. And despite the fact that I had that incident a year prior, I was under the, I guess, I was under the the idea, or I kind of felt that, okay, that was a one-off thing. It wouldn't happen again. I allowed myself to trust that I could be alone with this person. And unfortunately, again, a very similar situation happened that happened in California where he did not take a no for an answer. And when I left that situation and I went home, I feel like another layer of the guilt and shame was took over my life. I then not only started to really blame and sabotage myself, but I started to really make decisions and view life through a lens of fear and wanting to control things. I continued to behave and pretend to act normal as I would typically do before. I don't know that I warranted any concern from family or friends. And so over the next few years, I ended up getting married, having children. And it wasn't until I had my son, my second child, that I started to really want to have an existence beyond the numbing, disconnected feeling that I had become my normal. I do recognize that it was possibly a trigger for my depression to worsen after my children because of postpartum depression and anxiety and the hormones are associated with, you know, being pregnant and having children. But I do remember at that time that I had over the years had gone and visited a few different therapists, but I finally had found one that worked for me and we were building rapport and we were doing the work. And there was a period of time where she had done an assessment to check in on the level of depression and anxiety that I was facing and my score warranted her to caution me that I needed to take a more aggressive approach to managing my depression by either increasing my sessions with her or seeking the help of a treatment facility, a mental health facility. In my mind, because I was able to function within my normal of def- with function within my normal dysfunction, I did not feel like it was necessary for me to take heed to her advice. In fact, I felt like I had it under control. I was able to work. I was able to get my things done, take care of my children. 
show up in my different roles in life, and I was able to do it. I just started to just try to take things in my own hands by leaning into the positive psychology, trying to use affirmations and self-help books to get through my feeling. I don't feel like those methods are the best methods to try to treat depression. That's just my opinion. But then again, I'm not a mental health professional. I functioned that way for about a year or so. And then I experienced a car accident and it was very traumatic because I had my daughter with me. But as a result of that accident, I remember starting to have really intense headaches and at this time, I was really struggling cognitively. I could not remember anything. I felt tired and exhausted all the time. And so over the course of me getting the treatments that I needed for the injuries from my accident, I was explaining to one of the doctors that I was having this headache and you know having troubles with my memory and focus and all these other things. And so he suggested that I go see a neurologist who would do a brain scan and do some CAT scans to determine if I got a concussion or some other brain injury as a result of that accident. And so as a part of that workup, a brain scan was in, was in order. And I remember as I was sitting in the doctor's office waiting for the results of that brain scan, it came to me and I got the question and it was on my heart and I feel like it was God preparing me, but I googled can you see depression on a brain scan now if you remember like a year or so prior i just was told that my depression was significant enough that i should go seek help because of it but i hadn't really thought about it since then and so i remember googling it and then as i was just about to start going through the different sources she walked in and of course she seemed to be concerned, she reassured me quickly that my brain function, although it was impaired, I had not lost like intelligence or my ability, my cognitive ability. But she did show concern as she posted the brain scan results on the monitor. And she pointed to me of this area, and I don't remember the color, for some reason in my mind it's blue, but she showed me this area of my brain that was looks like highlighted and it looked about like 80% of my brain. And so she explained to me the reason why she asked me if I was okay, because this shading indicated depression. And she said with the amount of shading that it was, that it's not abnormal for me to be experiencing impaired brain function because depression left untreated for an extended amount of time or the amount of depression that was resonating in my brain that's the first time I that I could not argue with the doctor saying that it was an ambiguity of their opinion of I'll be me being depressed I had it right there right in front of me and so from that point forward I made the decision to choose myself and actively work on healing my mental health hey I'm just going to take a quick pause here I actually found a video that I recorded the day after I got the results from the neurologist. I was editing this video and I came across this one and it illustrates the exact state of mind I was in when I found out the results. I am going to insert a clip of it here. I never intended to, I never intended to share this with others. However, um, I just felt like it would really drive the point home as to where I was mentally. 
Also, just to keep in mind, I was in a lot of pain. In, in fact, I was actually in the middle of having a gallbladder attack. And if you've ever had one of those, you know how painful those can be. But I think I just created that document or I just created that video as documentation as to how far I could come in this journey. And so I found it quite interesting um, that I forgot about it and now I can bring it full circle. So enjoy. Um. I barely recognize the person that I am now. I'm always sad. I'm always feeling like heavy. I feel like that I've been in depression so long, honestly, that I don't know how I would function not being depressed, honestly. And it's kind of scary. And I'm making this video not with the intent to share it ever, but it's just for my own personal um, looking back or my just documenting me um i'm planning on so just to go back to my appointment yesterday she mentioned that and she said and i asked her so you know what do you recommend which i already knew the answer was either medication and or therapy and she mentioned that she strongly recommended that i take medication not just because that's a cure-all end-all but she said don't balance you out um, and so that evening I had a discussion with my family. I was very vulnerable and honest because prior to that, I kind of kept things and my feelings to myself and allowed myself to process things on my own. And to me to open up to them and subject myself to their worry and concern, especially when I'm telling them that she's suggesting that I go seek treatment for my depression because it's so significant, severe, I didn't want them to think that I was at risk for unaliving myself or something of that nature. But to my surprise, they were very, my family was very open and understanding. They did not make me feel judged or they were very supportive. And so from that point, I made a plan with my therapist and we came up with a plan for me to seek treatment at an outpatient mental health facility. Because of the fact that I was not at risk for hurting or unaliving myself, I was able to still have some autonomy and not have to be committed fully to the program. So that meant that I had to take time off work, which was another very vulnerable thing for me because to go and explain to your leadership that I had to take time off for a invisible illness was very hard for me, especially with me being such an open and authentic person as far as telling people, you know, it, it, it's one thing to say I have to be off for 12 weeks because I am pregnant and I'm going to be on maternity leave. but. It's another thing to say, hey, I'm having a very private issue and I need to take time off and not really give an explanation why and all the guilt and shame along with that of how can you not handle life that you have to go and seek help? You know, it was just a whole lot of things, but it was very vulnerable. But I learned so many things with that experience that I'm not as, as alone as I thought. So 
I check in at the mental health facility and I complete the outpatient therapy, which consisted of one-on-one therapy sessions with the social worker there, as well as group sessions and then work. And I would dedicate a few hours of my day in the morning, afternoon, have a break. And then I was still able to be home for the evenings with the kids and take care of the family. So I did that for the next four to six weeks. And then I was able to manage the depression to the point to where I could be discharged from that program and continue my care with my mental health therapist. And that's something that I, even to this day, I still, still do regularly if it's once or twice a week and increase it as needed. And so I took that step along with, I was finally open to hearing the suggestion about medication. And what I decided for myself was that treating mental health or treating a mental illness is no different than treating a physical illness. So for somebody who has diabetes, who needs insulin, or someone who has issues with monitoring or managing their blood pressure that needs blood pressure lowering medication, I look at mental illness as the same thing. And although lifestyle can improve any of those conditions, whether it's mental illness or physical illness, so changing your diet, managing your weight, et cetera, can help some of the symptoms associated with those illnesses, but it doesn't necessarily cure. And sometimes medication can help elevate the lifestyle changes that you've made. So that's my that was my approach to why I went ahead and was open to medication. And so with my medication and the experience with the intensive therapy, I was then able to shift my mental health and get it in a state to where it was managed with therapy as needed. One of the things that I say was the best thing that happened to me in that experience is that me going to the intensive outpatient therapy, although it was scary and intense at times, it was one of the best things because I really, truly got to, I really, truly got to understand the power that a story and sharing has for people, especially those that are going through difficult journeys. And so that is one of the main drivers in why I create the content that I do, the events that I do, and why I created this podcast, because I wanted to share my story, also share others' stories that are unique, a safe place where we could share these stories to create and cultivate an environment in which healing and connection and community can be bred so that people out there don't feel alone and feel encouraged and inspired and don't feel like they're the only one experiencing things. Recognizing that everybody has a unique journey, but of course, after I went to the outpatient treatment, I recognized that although my journey may not be identical to this person's or that person's, I recognize that there are patterns or thoughts or experiences that we all have in common, which we could all bond over and recognize that, hey, this person felt that way too. And I'm not alone and I don't feel so different. And that although I am unique, I'm still able to connect with this person and we can find healing and and strategies together. So that's my reason for creating this podcast and the content and the events. So 
With that said, I look forward to having many great conversations with you as well as my guests that I invite on the podcast, all in hopes that I create a place where people feel safe to share their authentic, unique selves and learn to embrace and love themselves and take care of their mental health. And so with that said, I'll end this episode here and I truly hope that you found something here that could inspire and encourage you and that this conversation was helpful. Until the next one, have a great day. Thank you.